Good morning, everybody. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. It's, it's uh, great to be uh, with you, uh, sharing fellowship with you again this morning. Um, I really enjoyed the open the book sketch. Um, it reminded me of being in school a few weeks ago. I tried that uh, exact lesson um, when two students were arguing over a pencil. <laughs> Sir, this is my pencil. Um, Sir, this is not his pencil, it's my pencil. Bring me the pencil, I said. <laughs> and I took the pencil and I said, I'm going to break this pencil in two. And one of them said, no, oh, it's his pencil, you can have it. <laughs> it's great truth. <laughs> so the word of God is a powerful two-edged sword, isn't it? Fantastic. Well, good morning. We are continuing to look at Matthew's Gospel, and we're continuing to look at the Sermon on the Mount, and we've got some slides as well, hopefully if it all goes according to plan. And last week, as we've already heard, uh, uh, with Steve reminding us, but Richard spoke on salt and light, and hopefully set this one up uh, really nicely. It's interesting speaking about the law. I've got two uh, lawyers in my family. No booze. <laughs> Mind you, there were no cheers either. Uh, my, my father was uh, a retired, well, he's a retired lawyer, and my brother is still working as a lawyer in Leeds. So the law is something that's uh, been part and parcel of, of my upbringing, although I'd be absolutely hopeless as a lawyer, you need, a very, you need to be clever. That's one thing uh, I'm lacking. And you need to be, um, have a really ordered and logical mind, which, again, I'll fail on that one. But uh, we've got two lawyers in the family. So the law, and our theme this morning is the law fulfilled or the law realigned. The law fulfilled and the law realigned. And you might remember Graham right at the beginning of this series on Matthew um, reminded us of the, the background to Matthew's gospel with its emphasis on convincing Jews um, and Jewish readers that Jesus is not only the Messiah, but their Messiah also. And if your memory is better than mine, and I'm hoping that's the case, you may recall that Matthew contains more quotations and references to the Old Testament than any other New Testament author. And even some of the terminology that uh, Matthew uses has a Jewish flavor. Phrases like kingdom of heaven, phrases like father in heaven, show the Jewish uh, reverential reluctance to actually mention or use the name of God. So they use kingdom of heaven and father in heaven instead. However, as we have found out in previous talks, although aimed at Jews, the gospel has a universal outlook. And you only have to look at the Great Commission um, at the end of Matthew's gospel to appreciate that this is a gospel for everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. Do you know, when I first looked at uh, the passages for this morning's talk, 
Uh, there were lots more readings than uh, we had this morning. There were, there were quite a big, big chunk of readings. And, and, but despite that, I thought this could potentially be one of the shortest talks in the history of Bridge North Baptist Church. Great, amen to that. Um, the New International Version subheadings are murder, adultery, divorce, an eye for an eye, swear an oath, love for enemies, I'm running out of fingers, giving to the needy, and then back to divorce again. And my talk could have been neatly and efficiently presented under two headings, don't do it, and do it. Don't do it and do it. And being a highly intelligent and sophisticated congregation, you would be able to work out which bits go where. <laughs> On the left-hand side, the don't do it, murder, adultery, divorce, except for marital unfaithfulness, eye for an eye, don't swear an oath, let your yes be yes, and do it, love your enemies, and give to the needy. Job done, clear, to the point, no nonsense teaching. Thank you. <laughs> but, but, if I were to, to leave it there, it would be a little bit simplistic, a little bit perhaps rule-driven, a little bit heavy-handed, even a little bit legalistic. And it's precisely this rule-driven, heavy-handed legalism that Jesus addresses in relation to the law and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the way that they are interpreting the law. So, briefly, I need to mention to you what the law is. Richard mentioned it briefly last week. The law is basically um, returning, so is referring, obviously, to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Jewish Scripture, our Old Testament, Genesis through to Deuteronomy. And they contain the laws and the instruction given by God through Moses to the people of Israel. And they were written by Moses, except for the last section of Deuteronomy. That must have been written by somebody else because Moses had died by then. And these books lay the foundation for the coming of Christ. Because as God's chosen people, the Israelites become the custodians of the Old Testament. They are the receivers of God's promises or covenants, and they are the channel of the Messiah. If you really want to uh, read up on the, on the law, perhaps Romans is your best, is your best bet. Um, I was talking to Chris Carter last week and said, uh, I find Romans quite a difficult book. And he, he said, it contains some of God's greatest hits in Romans. So I'm just going to refer to a couple of God's greatest hits. In Romans 3, 
chapter 3, verse 2, Paul, speaking of the Jews, reminds us that, first of all, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. And then in chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, Paul is reminding the Gentiles and the Jews in the church of Rome that theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It's a great verse, isn't it? And I think there's tremendous respect, isn't there, for Jewish tradition in these verses and also for the law. Tremendous respect. And yet the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawgivers didn't live out the law in the way that it was intended to be. Uh, Richard gave a couple of illustrations last week again of how um, the Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up. And when he was giving those examples, I was, I'd already got one planned for this week, and it's a, different, it's a different example. And so if you do have a Bible or just want to listen, um, I'm looking at Matthew chapter 22, verse 40. I can put this slide on might remind you of what this one is about. Paying taxes to Caesar. This is the Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Quite a heavy mob. Teacher, they said, We know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, They were amazed, so they left him and went away. Jesus represented a challenge to the Pharisees' authority, and ultimately, he challenged their sinfulness. He exposed their sinfulness. The Pharisees believed that if they could demonstrate that Jesus had no regard for the law or had broken just one, then they could discredit him and his claim to be the Messiah. However, no one had more respect for the law than Jesus. And as God's son, he's uniquely placed to comment on why the law is there in the first place. 
The Pharisees outwardly observed the requirements of the law, but inwardly they did the opposite. And Jesus is exposing their hypocrisy by demonstrating that the law is about heart and spirit and pure motive, not about ticking boxes. When I was thinking back to last week's talk, one, one way of summarizing Richard's talk last week was that Jesus puts love back into the law. If you remember nothing else from this morning, try to hold on to that, that Jesus puts love back into the law. We use the phrase, don't we, the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. The spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Just let that slide sink in. In the bottom cartoon, you can see mum is saying, you're, you're dirty, go and get yourself cleaned, go and have a bath. Although she says, into the tub. So he gets into the tub, but what does he not do? Doesn't put any water in it. So he's saying, I obey the letter of the law. I'm doing what I'm told, mum. Not the, if not the spirit. She's pretty cross about that. We use that phrase, though, to show that we can easily miss the point. We can miss the intent of those who wrote the law. The Pharisees and the lawgivers clearly missed the intent of those who'd written the law. A note in my uh, New International Version study Bible says this. Jesus is not speaking against observing all the requirements of the law, but against hypocritical, pharisaical legalism. Such legalism was not the keeping of all the details of the law, but the hollow sham of keeping laws externally to gain merit before God while breaking them inwardly. The hollow sham of keeping laws externally to gain merit before God while breaking them inwardly. So here's an illustration for the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Should they get a parking ticket? Should they get a parking ticket? The letter of the law says that a grass verge or apparent parking bay, that's the grass verge one, that that is an extension of the double yellow lines. And therefore, you are deemed to be parking in a restricted area. How do I know these things? Well, you could call this my 35 pound talk illustration. <laughs> and it goes back to a few weeks in the summer holidays, the back end of the summer holidays, Sheila and I went to the coast, to Wales, and we parked 
on a wide grass verge, on a narrow little lane. There was plenty of access for emergency vehicles to get past. There was a smaller grass verge on the other side of the lane, which I didn't park on because it was smaller. And, but on my side of the lane, it had the double yellow lines on the tarmac, but big, wide grass verge. We spent a few hours on the beach, came back, and where my car was parked and seven others, there were these yellow, gleaming parking tickets. I was furious. <laughs> I said to Sheila, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to write to the council. I wasn't blocking anything. There was plenty of room for emergency vehicles to get in and out of that area. And there was even a sign on our side of the grass verge which said no overnight parking, which by implication, and I'm sure you all agree, which by implication <laughs> means that you can park there in the daytime, but not obviously at night. I was so angry. You can see I've got over it now. <laughs> I put this to my wife. She said, Tim, I spent my entire marriage arguing with you. I said, no, you haven't. <laughs> and with a wise and somewhat weary look, she said, just pay the fine. The wisdom of a good wife. It's amazing, isn't it? So I did. I dutifully paid the fine. And even better, I got my own back. I got a talk illustration to use in Bridgenorth Baptist Church on the 6th of November 2016 at approximately quarter past 11. Okay. I am worried actually, on, on, this is an aside now, I am a bit worried about the cost of some of my talk illustrations recently. Uh, a couple of months ago I talked about a sitting room carpet that had been infested by moths. Folks, this has got to stop. <laughs> this is not financially viable for me to carry on standing up here speaking when things like this happen. So if the basket could go around again later, am I down next February, uh, Graham? I think it's the next one, so I'm not quite sure what God's got in store then, but we'll see. Okay, sorry, enough banter. <laughs> Where have I got to? The letter of the law, yeah, or the spirit of the law. Which would you rather live under? Which brings you the most freedom? Two more slides to illustrate this point. What are they there for? <laughs> And my favourite, this lady's just gone off shopping. She's just come back. She's got the yellow ticket on the windscreen there. And you can see, they did, at least they didn't paint the, the yellow lines over the car. That would have been, you know, the go faster stripes. Um, the law can be an ass. You've heard that expression. But God's laws, fulfilled in Jesus, give us hope, 
and freedom and truth and protection and special status in the kingdom of heaven if we follow them. Human laws change with trends and fashions, but God's laws are unchanging because they reflect his unchanging nature. His purposes will remain in place until, as our reading says, everything is accomplished. God's law, folks, is here to stay and it's good for us and we should be grateful that Jesus has fulfilled it for us, that he has realigned it for us. And that he gives us, as believers, his Holy Spirit to write that law, not on tablets of stone, but on our human heart and on our spirits. To finish with this from Hebrews 10, verse 16. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Shall we pray?